Chapter thirty five of the Wife of the Secretary of State. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wife of the Secretary of State by Ella Middleton Tybout. Chapter thirty five. The secretary stood in his library holding in his hand a sheet of paper as he had previously held the draft of his resignation. Today, however, there was an erectness in his attitude very different from the air of general depression which had marked the former occasion. Two chairs sociably drawn together before the fire indicated that he had recently entertained a visitor, and an indescribable something about them suggested that the guest had been welcome. Now, however, judging from his expectant glances at the clock and out of the window, he expected someone else. "'How long she stays!' he exclaimed impatiently. "'Ah, at last!' For the front door had opened and shut, and he heard Mrs. Redmond's voice in the hall. "'Suppose you look in on Mr. Lee in my sitting-room, Isabel,' she was saying. "'I will join you shortly.' The secretary drew aside the heavy portier and held out his hand. "'I've been watching for you,' he said. "'You promised to be home early, you know.' "'Yes,' she assented, "'and now I want to tell you about my afternoon. "'There is something I want to do very, very much.' "'And I, too, have something to tell you,' he said. "'Come to the fire. You must be cold.' Mrs. Redmond paused in the act of removing her heavy furs and looked curiously at him. "'Something has happened,' she exclaimed suddenly. "'Something nice. You have had a visitor. Oh, John, tell me!' "'Yes, dear, a visitor, the President. Don't look so startled. He used to come sometimes, you know.' "'But not lately,' she replied. "'Not since—' "'Listen,' he continued. "'This morning I sent in my resignation. I owed it to myself to do so, even though the missing papers have all been found.' "'I don't care a bit now,' she interrupted, "'for there could be no stigma attached to your name. Well?' "'Well, Estelle, as I said, I sent it in this morning, and this afternoon the President brought it here and asked me to withdraw it as a personal favor to himself.' "'And you,' she said, "'what did you say to him?' "'I said,' returned the Secretary, "'that I only wished to serve my country honestly, and that sometimes such service was best rendered by withdrawal from public office when age or ill-health had in any way impaired the faculties.' and he? He said all sorts of kind things, dear, and was very complimentary. He apologized for his attitude during this trouble, and said that he had been much worried, and facts falsely represented to him. He was genuinely anxious that I should remain, and so I agreed to do so. There will be no official record of my resignation. He left it here with me, and I shall destroy the copy in the files of the State Department. I thought— the secretary paused and smiled. "'Well, John?' "'I thought, Estelle, that perhaps you would enjoy burning it. You seemed to take the matter very much to heart the other day.' "'Oh, I should!' she exclaimed quickly. "'Give it to me at once.' The secretary seated himself upon the couch and drew his wife down beside him. The sheet of paper burned brightly, then charred and crumbled, and Mrs. Redmond, watching it, remembered, with a tightening of the throat, the cellar of the octagon house and the blazing of the burning maps. 
Fire was merciful at times as well as terrible, she thought. And now, said Mr. Redmond cheerfully, I have told you my news. What is yours? It isn't news exactly. I went to see Miss Gray this afternoon. Her pretty little sister is going to be married. Indeed, exclaimed the secretary. I am heartily glad to hear it. And I thought, continued Mrs. Redmond, her eyes upon the plain gold band on her left hand, I thought, John, I should like to help her. They are two girls alone in the world without money, and it's such a dreary boarding-house. You don't mind? Do you think I would object? Oh, I knew you wouldn't, but I wanted to talk to you about it, of course. I should like her to have a nice little wedding and some pretty clothes, such as every girl longs for and should have when she marries. She brought us back those papers, you know, and I feel we owe her a tremendous debt of gratitude, at least I do. Is Marks the happy man? inquired Mr. Redmond, laughing. His name is Harry, and his regiment is in Alaska. That is all I know about him, John. But it's immaterial. He gets a leave next month and can come on, and I mean he shall find Christine daintily fitted out, with pretty things, dear, as well as useful. I'm extravagant, you know, and I do love clothes. So does she, poor child. So when Harry comes, we will have a nice little wedding here in the house, and you'll give the bride away. Do you agree? The secretary held his wife closer and kissed her forehead. It's like you to think of it, Estelle, he said fondly. Of course I agree. And speaking of brides, he added, I wonder how the young people upstairs are coming on. The young people were getting on extremely well upstairs, although their conversation was of a disjointed and fragmentary character incapable of being properly recorded, and the disorder of Isabel's red-gold hair was more apparent than usual. "'It glitters,' said David, carefully transferring a strand from his coat to his card-case, like spun gold. "'I should think,' said Isabel, with an attempt at a frown, "'you might have asked for a lock of it by this time, but perhaps you don't want it.' The last words were muffled, owing to a temporary eclipse of the two heads by the back of one chair. "'By the way,' she said suddenly, drawing away from him, "'by the way, David, there's something I want to know. Why did you take those papers?' "'What papers?' "'The blank bundle labeled Roostchook from our library table. I saw you put them in your pocket.' "'Some valuable papers were missing from the department on that subject,' he said slowly, and I thought perhaps I had found them, so put them in my pocket on the impulse of the moment, meaning to return them to the secretary or your father. When I found they were blanks, I said no more about it, but I never understood. He paused abruptly. I do, returned Isabel sagely. Oh, I'm wiser than you think. Mr. Rivers— Hateful name, interposed Lee quickly. We will call him the unmentionable, if you like it any better. Well, anyhow, he knew you were coming and put that package there to see if you would take it. He was trying to prove you guilty of something, David. I don't just understand what, but you fell into the trap like a blind bat and put it in your pocket. I thought I should have died when I saw you do it. Lee stared at her incredulously. And does your father think I stole that package of papers, believing them genuine, and kept quiet about it? He said. 
no returned isabel with a shake of the head he doesn't think anything of the kind for i fixed up another package and father and the unmentionable found it but i thought you took it david and i was very miserable so miserable that i got engaged but how you must have despised me no i didn't she interrupted i tried to but i couldn't so i despised myself for not being able to despise you he the unmentionable said all sorts of nasty things about you and what he meant should happen to you so i stole out that evening to tell you about it and to ask you not to do it again whatever it was you did do and it was nothing after all was it no isabel returned lee anxiously i've done nothing i am ashamed of but you said you went to see me when was it and where did you go it was one thursday she said and i went to your lodging but just as i got nearly there you came out the door and went down the street i tried to overtake you but you walked too fast for me you went to the old part of the city and i kept on following even down a horrid muddy alley and it was raining and very dark in the alley i lost you but i thought i saw you go through a hole in the wall so i kept on i really think then i was afraid to go back the place turned out to be the octagon house and i was so relieved when i knew where i was that i thought i'd just run through it and out on eighteenth street on the other side you know so i need not go back by way of the alley but interrupted lee i never went to the octagon house until the night my friend hit me with the brick and carried me in oh i know that was the awful part it wasn't you at all david it was put your ear very close count vladimir he went into a room with a light in it and an old man met him i was very frightened and hid in a little place off the dining-room with a secret door you know they talked a long time and the old man seemed afraid of him but i couldn't distinguish what they said i tried to get out of the window on eighteenth street but it wouldn't budge and i caught my hair on the rough wood and tore my dress my heart beat so i thought they must hear it by and by count vladimir left and i took the opportunity to rush through the hall out into the garden again even the alley was better than that awful house i got wet coming home and was late for dinner and mr lyndhurst kept asking me inconvenient questions it was dreadful but where did you go david i sometimes use that alley as a short cut from street to street he replied and have a recollection of doing so one thursday evening when i went into that part of the city on an errand to one of the clerks in the state department i had an engagement later and must have taken the shortest way of getting there and in the darkness you lost me but oh isabel when i think that you did it for me and what might have happened the remainder of the sentence was unintelligible but seemed satisfactory i wonder he said after a long silence what your aunt and father will think oh responded miss bird with an air of easy assurance aunt mary doesn't matter and father thinks as i do on such subjects End of chapter thirty five